Welcome to the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. This is your host, Ron Jacobus. We hope you enjoy these conversations on executive protection and security management as we meet with security practitioners and industry thought leaders. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 16 of the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. This is your host, Ron Jacobus, and today I am joined by Chris Browning and Anthony Reap. Both Chris and Anthony are instructors who train a variety of clients on technical surveillance countermeasures, better known by its acronym TSCM, at Research Electronics International, otherwise known as REI. And with that said, gentlemen, um, it is my pleasure to have you both on the podcast with me today to talk about this awesome topic of technical surveillance countermeasures, sometimes referred to as technical security countermeasures, but best known by its acronym TSEM. Thanks for having us. And uh, Anthony, everyone I have ever met who knows you only ever refers to you by your nickname Nugget. And I will give you a a moment here during the opening uh, just to share that backstory of how you received this nickname and how it's kind of stuck with you uh, all this time. Yes, sir. So, uh, gentlemen, without further ado, let's get you introduced to our listening audience and uh, explain how you all ended up over teaching this niche security skill at REI. And then uh, let's start peeling away at the onion layers of uh, TSEM. Okay, perfect. All right. So, Chris, let's uh, let's lead off with you, man. Well, I'm retired law enforcement, and uh, I had a lot of experience on the technical side of investigations when I was in law enforcement. You know, a lot of wiring up informants for dope. Uh, buys and you know prostitution things and that kind of stuff and uh, when I retired I didn't know what I was going to do but I knew I was still young enough to do something so like a lot of cops I started a private investigation company and uh, quite honestly at the time I um I'd never even heard of of TSDM didn't even know it was a thing my bread and butter uh, was workers compensation surveillance I was going around and following people you know that claimed to be injured to see if they were picking up too much uh, water at Walmart or something. So um, during that time, I had a very successful attorney reach out to me and ask me, did I do bug sweeping? And I didn't know what that was. And um, he said, well, I tell you what, there's a company in Cookville, Tennessee called uh, REI. And he said, they're the world's leader in this training and technology. Why don't you go up there and attend their basic level one class? And if you like it, get into it. I've got a bunch of work waiting on you. And if you uh, don't like it, then no harm done. Because uh, it didn't cost you anything, because he paid for everything for that initial class. So came up here as a student, fell in love with it, and um, bought all the gear, got all the training, and I did uh, private corporate suites uh, all over the southeast for five years, and came back through for some training uh, back in early 2013, and found out there was an opening for an instructor, and uh, applied and got hired. And now I've been here a little over 10 years. So it's something that got in my blood. It reminded me of being a young cop again. It was exciting. I was back in the chase. And and I have to apologize. I've got a terrible summertime cold. So I probably sound miserable, but uh, I feel okay. That's quite all right. You're coming in just fine. Um, What a fascinating road to TSEM. Um, uh, A unique one at that. And now now you're teaching uh, others like myself and, and my team of technicians um, Anthony, go ahead and tell us kind of uh, how you got to REI, what you did before, how you're uh, impacting, you know, protective security operations and security management through uh, through your trainings over there now. And uh, this will be the last time that I refer to you as Anthony. The rest of the day is going to be Nuggets, so you're going to have to explain <laughs> that uh, backstory now. Uh, I've been with REI. Chris and I actually started at the exact same time, uh, just a week or so apart. And uh, before that, uh, I had been a police officer locally here in Cookville for almost 10 years. And most of my job was not super technical. Um, I was third shift patrol. I was a training officer, um, field training officer. I went to uh, explosive breach school and I was an entry member on our SWAT team, road police motors. and just uh, living the dream, front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Loved every minute of it. Uh, wasn't looking for a career change. Actually went to eat at a uh, hibachi restaurant uh, one night with some friends, and I saw this guy sitting across from me I thought I recognized, and it was one of the instructors here. And after dinner that night, he actually just said, uh, you know, hey, we're kind of looking to hire a police officer, a police background uh, for an instructor. 
and uh, I think you should put in for it. And my first thought was, <clears throat> I'm the police. I, I don't want to do anything else. I had just tested for sergeant, and I, things were going good. I felt like, you know, this is where I was going to be forever. And uh, he said, let me take you out to dinner and tell you what we do. And uh, I had worked in the same town as REI my whole career, and I didn't even know what they did. So let's see. After that, gave it a shot, came over, actually did my interview on nothing technical. <laughs> uh, did my they, as your hiring process, they uh, have you present to see your classroom demeanor and everything. And I, I kind of had an edge, I think, on that because I come from a family of teachers. So I mean, my mom, dad, grandmother, aunt, sister, everybody are public school teachers. So um, it all started from there. And man, I can't believe it's already been over ten years. Uh, now I have weekends and holidays off. I get to work with some of the coolest people in the world. I travel and see and meet some of the most interesting people. And I still get to live vicariously the cop life through all of my military and law enforcement customers that we come into contact with. So uh, super awesome. Love it. Uh, probably the greatest blessing ever. So let's see. The story of Nuggets. So the first night I was at the police department, uh, they tell you, keep your mouth shut. Don't look at anybody. Don't talk to anybody. You're nobody. I can't believe they give you a gun. They gave me that whole feel. And uh, the first night, you have to have the image. They didn't buy you uniforms. They pulled stuff out of the uh, closet until you had passed their washout phase or whatever. So I had on pants that were, I think my mom hemmed like six inches off the bottom. And I'm short in stature. So for people that are listening, uh, I was uh, five, six. And um, they trimmed my pants off the bottom. I had to cut like eight inches off the duty belt and I was wearing a lady's blouse <laughs> because it was the smallest thing. And actually the bulletproof vest that they gave me, I had to tuck into my belt. And um, we go to this Afro man concert and walk in and my training officer is about six, two and the backup officer was about six, one. And this intoxicated college girl walks by and stops and bends down and puts her hands on her knees. And she was taller than me, of course, and looked me straight in the face and said, are you a real police officer? And I said, yes, ma'am. And I straightened up as much as I could. And she ruffled my hair and said, you look like a precious little nugget. And uh, man, the next day I walked in and the previous shift supervisor was uh, just said, hey, nugget, what's up? And I thought, what do you call me? And that was that was the start. And I uh, I've just owned it ever since because if people are giving you a hard time, I think that means they like you usually. So absolutely, especially in the uh, the law enforcement circles, if you're getting a nickname, uh, it's because they care enough to give you one. So I don't know all the nicknames I seem to have. I don't think those people cared for me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, there you go. Um, and Nugget, you lucked out then in that case. So yeah. Um, before we get too far down the road about what REI is, I think maybe we give a little overview of what TSEM is, and then we'll we'll dig into a little bit of how REI plays into that as a a training company, and we'll go from there. So um, I'm gonna leave it open to whichever one of you wants to take it. Um, some of our listeners I know um, have trained with you, but some have not. And TSCM is becoming that hot topic. So I think this is a great opportunity for those who um, haven't encountered it yet to get kind of a base knowledge um, from you guys, kind of what it is and then how it kind of plays into the greater scheme of security management and protective operations. Yeah, be happy to. Um, so the first thing, you know, when, when you did the, uh, the opening, um, you called TSCM technical security countermeasures. And I, I hear a lot of people calling it that right now. Um, but the, the actual uh, military definition of TSCM, which is where this all started, uh, is technical surveillance countermeasures. Um, and that's not me being picky. I've seen this change because I think the, the term, you know, surveillance and security might sometimes have different applications in, in the modern times that we live in. But when that terminology was first coined, uh, it was because of the Cold War. So, you know, the, the Soviets were trying to steal secrets from the U.S. and the U.S. was trying to steal secrets from the Soviets, and we quickly realized we needed to have a defense for those offensive uh, surveillance devices that were being used against our country and our assets and our interests mm. worldwide. Um, so that was where you know the term technical surveillance countermeasures or the the, the actual official program for uh, TSEM or that's how it came about. Um, but you know it, it is a confusing topic 
to get anyone to understand. I mean, anyone, I'm sure Nugget will agree with me. You know, if my wife and I are out somewhere and someone says, what, now what is it you do? It is the hardest thing to explain to anyone. So uh, the, the easiest way that I've come up with to explain it, and, and I feel like it's 100% spot on, is you have different uh, facets of security in, in your home, in your business, in a company, in an agency. And, you know, for example, you've got physical security. It's important. You have to have physical security. You have to have locks. You have to have doors. Uh, you have to have security cameras. Uh, that, that's just one facet of the overall security program. Uh, another example would be, you know, a computer and IT security. You've got to have firewall. You know, you've got to have, um, uh, malware, spyware, you, you know, you've got to have port security. That's important. We have to have that. But you take all of those normal, traditional security assets that we think about, and the one area that uh, that everyone falls short in is the spoken word. What's coming out of our mouth? And that is what we protect. That is what technical surveillance countermeasures protects. So, for example, if... Um, I were a, if I were a hacker and I came up with this beautiful uh, phishing uh, email campaign and I sent it out to various corporations, let's say pharmaceutical companies, and I sent this phishing campaign out into the world, out into the wild, hoping that someone would eventually click on a on a malicious link, which they'll do eventually. We all know that, um, and it gives me you know secret backdoor access to a company's network. That's great, but now I have to spend an enormous amount of time searching this network, um, looking for something of value, when what I would rather do is just hear the CEO talking about it in his office, that, because that, that conversation takes me right to the, the information that I need to steal. And so, you know, again, Cliff's Notes version, broadly speaking, I think that is a good explanation of what TSEM is and what we protect. We protect what people say and do. Nugget. Did you have anything to build off of that? I, I mean, he, he really covered that kind of gap out of the other two. You have cybersecurity, physical security, and this really does kind of fill that gap of the spoken word. No, I think that's perfect. That's We had actually talked about this earlier, and I knew he had a uh, a pretty, you know, he had a good round way of saying that and covering most of the bases. I mean, that's that's what most people want to, you know, they don't realize that they're when they're talking about stuff they shouldn't be or who they're talking to or where they they expect privacy and everybody, even in a world where we post everything on the internet, uh, everybody still wants privacy. Um, now building off of that definition, how does REI fit into the picture? And what have you guys been doing for quite a bit of time as a company? And, uh, you know, it's an important role and I'll let you guys kind of explain how it fits into the larger umbrella. REI was founded in 1983. Um, same year I was founded and, um, we are the, leading commercial exclusive technical surveillance countermeasures company in the world. When Chris was talking about uh, the first TSEM stuff that started Cold War era, I mean, there wasn't specific equipment. They had to build their own or they had to take something else that could be used to help them find things. And uh, the founder, Bruce Barsumian of REI, he thought outside the box like that. You know, he was... Uh, working for another company in Florida and and that dealt in audio transmitters. And he was thinking, man, there's got to be a way to detect this. And one thing turned into another. And from that part, REI has been strictly focused on this field. And that's what really separates us apart from anybody else, because there are companies that make stuff that you can use for technical surveillance countermeasures. But our entire design and everything that we do here is all based on trying to make it as functional and as portable and as durable with TSEM in mind. And and that, I mean, I think that's the major thing that separates us apart. And we're 99% in-house where we are, and we manufacture everything from design process to uh, building and printing our own circuit boards. Like we outsource very little, just plastic and screens and some things like that that we don't need to redesign. So, uh, Chris, do you have anything else on that? No, I, I think you did a great job on that, Anthony. Um... The last time I saw Chris actually was at the Executive Security Operations Conference put on by the Board of Executive Protection Professionals uh, out in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, you spoke at that conference, Chris, and kind of actually pinch hit off of uh, some other discussions that have been going on and, and kind of shifted your your uh, lecture 
to cover air tags. And, and I would love to dig in a little bit about that uh, further down the road yeah. and how it plays into this large umbrella of kind of the current TSEM sure. landscape. But uh, somebody had asked a question and uh, I didn't have a chance to, to run into them. And I don't know if you did, but for the larger audience, the question I think he was trying to ask you, basically, you guys got kind of this journey of trainings, right? Um, so I'll let you kind of explain kind of the pathway of training that you guys offer, because he was asking, you know, how soon can my in-house team, when they train with you, kind of go live with what, what they have? And right. uh, I think it's interesting, you know, your answer was great. Um, I think it'd be interesting to replicate that here and kind of ask, what is the progression right. of training that you guys offer? Because uh, it's, it's definitely not a one-off, you know, uh, single training sure. you're done to go hit the field. I'll let you guys kind of explain those building blocks of training. Yeah, um, no problem at all. And, you know, as far as replicating exactly what I said in Kansas City, I've slept since then. So I'll, I'll try and do a, <laughs> uh, try and do as good of a job as you think I did out there. But yeah, and I, and I, or a nugget or I either one can't, can't really take credit for the, the progression of the training here. You know, that was, that was set out, you know, before our time and we, we still follow it to this day. It's the same you know, a progression that I did as a student and it worked really well for me and, and made me very successful. Um, but, you know, I have to also point out that there was not just in training, but there, there's been a progression of technical threats throughout the world uh, in, in about the same amount of time that REI has been in business. So, and what I mean by that is, you know, back when I was, uh, you know, wiring up informants and putting hidden cameras in cars, the equipment was bulky. It was very expensive uh, and it cost a lot of money. And, you know, I can remember having to borrow equipment because our agency couldn't afford some of the equipment that we would use. And, um, you know, basically you had to be a member of a three-letter agency to have a really sexy transmitter. Uh, but now anybody can go on Amazon and order something. It's absolutely amazing. You know, it, that's interesting. The, the threat landscape has kind of uh, impacted the industry as a whole. And, and like you said, things have changed. Uh, to get a transmitter is totally different now than it was back then. And, and I think the cost of uh, kind of some of the targeting uh, that you guys see out there that is collecting some of this data um, is interesting. You guys do a great job of, of laying it out there. So um, Chris or Nugget, can you guys kind of lay out, let's say uh, I'm a student looking at REI training or getting into TSCM. How did you guys build this, right? You have a core concept class, but certainly I've taken that and I can tell you I wouldn't trust myself to charge a client and be comfortable leaving that environment, right? I can certainly find stuff, but not at the frequency that I would want to, to do it as a service. Thankfully, um, our techs and uh, my counterpart, Richard Caffigy, have gone through most, if not all of your, your trainings over there and have had a, a long, long-term business relationship with you guys. And I think that's shows with our clients when we get out there and oftentimes fix people who have gone through and done TSEMs previous and uh, kind of save the reputation. So. Well, if, as you were talking, I was just thinking also, like Chris pointing out how readily available everything is, it's also opened up our um, customer base and for training, maybe not even if they're going to be a, a bug sweeper necessarily, but just to understand what's happening. Because now with like, you, I'm sure we'll talk later about AirTags, but the readily available high quality transmitters and, and spy devices, you know, we recommend and, and something I kind of admire about REI is when they call somebody or somebody calls wanting help, they don't just try to sell equipment. Their first thing is typically, hey, come to training. And that first thing that you would do is go through the level one that you're talking about. And in that week, it kind of lays out a day of what is TSCM? What are some threats? How do you get your mind wrapped around things that weren't designed to be nefarious, but could be used nefariously? You know, get how do you open that box and start thinking about sweeps and how would you perform it and how could the bad guy attack you? And then we spend two days working with basic radio frequency theory because you kind of, you need a foundation to understand, you know, most people use a key fob and they hit the button in their car and locks, but they understand what's happening there. So they need that foundation. And then we move into detecting RF energy and how things affect that. And then into um, finding transmitters that aren't transmitting. Maybe they're just dormant, recording, and not giving any energy off. And then they spend two days on phones. And that's kind of our level one of basic electronics with telephones. Also, we build some uh, elementary circuits to understand the components. 
uh, we talk about telephones from analog and get them into the digital telephone era. And from that point on, they decide, okay, I've got a basic understanding. Is my threat or do I want to focus more on radio frequency or do I want to focus more on telephones and copper wires and things like that? And from there, they kind of branch off and um, it gets into more sophisticated classes and more sophisticated equipment. And I'll let Chris jump in there because I've been talking for a minute. Yeah, um, no problem. You were doing a good job. I was hoping you were going to keep going. Um, once you choose, and, and oftentimes technicians will choose both, but just obviously you can't do them both at the same time. But our level two classes, uh, again, either focus more on the RF side of the house uh, and you get into spectrum analyzer technology. So we have two different uh, spectrum analyzers that we manufacture here. And uh, all of our classes are designed to be five-day classes. So you would do five days on the spectrum analyzer class uh, of your choosing. Um, then you also have the option to do five days um, for our newer uh, spectrum analyzer, the, the Mesa. So our two spectrum analyzers are called the Oscar and the Mesa. Um, or if people are wanting uh, to get uh, you know more into the copper wire testing and uh, telephony side of the house, then we have a product that's called the Talon, and it's a five-day class. So our level twos focus on, uh, they're more product-specific. Um, even though we do product-specific training in the level one for broadband detector technology and um, nonlinear junction detector technology, um, the level two classes you know, really get more in-depth uh, depending on whether you want to be in the RF side or in the uh, telephone side of the house. And then uh, we also offer some level three classes, which are mainly certification classes for either RF or the telephone side of the house. And, you know, those classes are passed or failed. So there's an actual written test. There is some practical exercises that the student would have to pass. But ultimately, it's us instructors signing our name saying, yes, this person absolutely knows what they're doing. And, you know, not everyone needs that. You know, if you if you don't think you're ever going to have to testify in a court case, um, you know if your if your agency is not requiring you to be recertified annually, then you know a lot of people don't do that class. But um, it's a good class for practice. It really is. It gets you, it allows you to come through and hone your hone your skills. Uh, a lot of people we see repeatedly they'll come back through those level two classes because again it's great practice. And as we all know, this is a perishable skill. And if you don't do it every day, uh, you tend to lose some of that muscle memory. And so it's good to come back through. And also in that level three, we have um, a uh, it's an advanced VoIP class it's called VoIP Plus. Uh, and that's strictly talent specific, but it really, really takes you down the, the voice over internet protocol rabbit hole. And because as we know, a lot of businesses have went strictly to VoIP phones. Um, and then we have an advanced equipment usage class, which is actually my favorite class because it's five days. I actually don't teach anything. It's five days of me against you. So I'll do the best install that I know how to do with, you know, surveillance equipment. And then the student has five days to basically find it. So it, it's really, really good real world um, exposure. And the good news is, you know, people walk away and they always learn something from it. And it's just, it's a fun class. It really is. So that that's kind of the progression of our classes, unless Anthony uh, realizes that I missed something. You didn't miss anything. I was also going to add, too, that, you know, we don't just cover REI equipment when they're here. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, tools that customers may already have in their toolbox at home that can be used. Like I was saying earlier, originally there weren't TSCM equipment companies. It was all, you know, but what are some amplifiers that you can get off Amazon? Maybe you don't have a, a, a corporate budget and you're just trying to, maybe you're, maybe you're that person that's got some enemies from some decisions you made, or maybe you're just a little paranoid, which is a good thing to be sometimes today. And you're just trying to make sure that when you go to your Airbnb, that nobody is spying on your family or, you know, your kids in the bathroom or something like that. And you're just trying to be vigilant. You know, we, everybody talks today about, you know, fitness training, you know, combat training, medic training, all of these different things, but maybe you're taking it one step further and just, we cover stuff, you know, like what are some tools you can get? What are some uh, vulnerabilities that you can cut down on or mitigate by buying normal stuff or using things around your house that will help you figure that out? So that's also included in the training because we're trying to teach you to be proficient and aware technicians, not just for REI's equipment. 
you know, I think that's interesting. You brought that up, right? You are a training company. You do push out uh, some of the best TSEM equipment out there on the market. Um, but like you said, you don't shy away from the off the market stuff that's coming off of Amazon either that can assist um, with some of those more advanced tools. Um, and I think Brett Landscape comes to mind, right? You have everybody coming through there from three letter agencies to corporate companies to individuals, and uh, it's based on their threat landscape. Um, some of these corporations and government entities are really worried about state level actors that are trying to penetrate into their networks or individuals. Um, and you know, that's every, really every nation that has an intelligence apparatus is, is going to try to use this means and others to penetrate their targets. Um, but then you have individuals who are worried about, you know, their daughter going off to college and somebody popping up a camera up in the restroom or the bathroom area and uh, into the showers and such. Um, and you guys really cover the gamut of being able to provide very high level threats with high technical means and low level threats with very rudimentary means. And really, I think uh, it doesn't so much matter as the threat landscape at the end of the day, because based on uh, the day and the threat of choice and the target, they're going to use either high tech or low tech means. And you guys cover all of that. Um, and uh, so maybe how does that threat landscape play into how you guys teach based on your your clients that are in the room? Well. You know, the first thing I'd like to that just, you know, comes to my mind is there's not really such a thing as low tech threat anymore. Um, there's you know, the, the, the things that you can get off the Internet now are mind blowing uh, at, you know, the, the degree of technology. Now, they may be very uh, poorly manufactured and they may, you know, in our world of, of RF detection, they, they may bleed RF energy. You may have, you know, multiple harmonic signals coming off of this device because it was just so poorly manufactured. But as far as technology goes, you know, it's it's, it's good stuff. I mean, we've even seen examples, uh, and we talk about this in class, that, you know, some, it it, it is believed that some countries uh, use, you know, their their nation state uh, intelligence services are using things that you can get off of Amazon, for example, because it gives them plausible deniability. You know, if you were to find a, a, a cellular listening device installed in a room, anybody can buy one of those. And so, you know, if, if I were China, I could say, well, it wasn't us. You know, obviously, if it was us, it would be very, very, you know, modern and sophisticated. But, but what does it do? It sends high quality audio from point A to point B. And the technology has gotten amazing in that regard. You know, when I was, when I was a young cop, when I first started using transmitters, you know, I was putting like one quarter watt transmitters underneath somebody's arm in a in a halter, and I was sending them inside <laughs> of an apartment complex to buy dope, and I had to be in the parking lot to receive that RF energy. It was line of sight, and you know that's all we knew. But uh, there was something called a cell phone that got invented, and more and more, you know, cellular technology got better, and cell phones became more affordable. And more importantly, more and more cell towers got got built. And when that happened, that was a game changer because now, as long as the transmitter that I had given the informant could connect to a cell tower and my receiver could connect to a cell tower, then I could receive them from anywhere on Earth. Practically, I could stay at home and and monitor that you know uh, drug purchase. So now we've just seen you know since that time in the mid nineties, we have seen it explode. I mean, there there has never been a greater progression in technological advances um, when you look at, at, you know, the history of the world than we've had in the last 20 years. And um, so now with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, you know, we're the, the threat is even greater than it was with just cellular-based devices. So the, yeah, the progression has been incredible. And we do have to, we do have to focus on that. You know, we we normally show students that we kind of group technical surveillance devices into four categories. So we've got uh, consumer electronics or commercially available devices. And these are things that were like Nugget said earlier, were not designed to have a nefarious purpose, uh, but they're easily either converted or used for that purpose. So for example, just a baby monitor, you know, you can go to Walmart and buy a baby monitor tonight and use it for a purpose other than what it was intended for. You know, again, we're, we're just wanting to capture the spoken word or to, you know, to capture video of, of something happening 
that we otherwise shouldn't be able to if we're the bad guy. And uh, so you've got those, you know, consumer level or, or um, you know, commercially available stuff. And then from there, we get into the spy shop gear. And those are the devices that they don't even try and hide it. You know, they're intended for covert use. Uh, they're the nanny cams. They're the clock radios with cameras in them. You know, they're the bubblegum uh, packs with a hidden camera in them. You, you just Google spy cam and you'll get about, you know, 130 million uh, hit on that. They're everywhere. And so then after that, we get into the law enforcement grade of, you know, listening devices. And uh, these are very well manufactured. They're not, they're not inexpensive. Uh, they're very well manufactured, very well shielded, um, very ruggedized. I mean, it's really good stuff. Complex, um, you know, wireless protocols are involved in them. And then after that, we get into the, to the nation state level. And these are things that are purpose built. You know, you're dealing with a country that has an unlimited budget, basically, uh, unlimited engineering resources. And when they have a particular target, they, they customize devices for that target. And those obviously are the hardest, um, to find as a technician. But, you know, really and truly at the end of the day, especially when it comes to devices that transmit RF energy, we find them all the same exact way. And that's what we train on. You know, it, it, whether it's the nation state manufactured device or whether it's the consumer electronic baby monitor, they transmit RF energy and you can't hide RF energy. And we learn how to identify energy as first being suspicious. And then secondly, track down where it's coming from. That's a great overview. And uh, using words that people hear often, right? But they maybe don't attribute to being somewhat of a vulnerability or a uh, or a pathway to transmission. Um, you're talking about RF energy, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. Um, for the listener that is just learning about this today and is going Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and RF, it, it catch them up a little bit about how these three categories play into, you know, delivering the spoken word uh, beyond where you would like it to be out to an adversary or a threat um, that is there to uh, to collect this information uh, through these kind of eavesdropping memes. So I, I think that'd be interesting for you guys to, to tag into a little bit here and explain, you know, what this is and how it works and uh, how it's really a, a vulnerability for or some of these clients out there? You know, people, they hear RF, you understand uh, on the very basic surface, like I said earlier with the key fob, you hit a button and something happens somewhere else. Uh, but what's happening is with all these advancements Chris was talking about is, is something called the Internet of Things. Um, that's, or that's what it's referred to as. But now everything is connected. Uh, I mean, and in your smart devices at home, uh, I know Chris can share a story in a minute, I think, during COVID when we were all working from home and uh, building, uh, changing PowerPoints and building things uh, for the classes. We uh, he, he located stuff in his house that he didn't even know he had. And I mean, our TVs, you know, microwaves, ovens, uh, thermostats, light bulbs, everything is being connected. And And what a lot of people don't realize is with all of that connectivity, it doesn't just stop at the edges of your house. You know, and so as you're saying, how does it reach out? Uh, and I don't know if this is where your mind was going with that question or not. And you can rein me back in. But, you know, you can't just make a transmitter or when you're in the parking lot at Walmart and you hit your key fob trying to find your car. It doesn't just go to your car. It goes everywhere. It, it leaves, depending on the antenna, in a 360 degree environment. And that's the same way with your phone broadcasting its Bluetooth ID. Uh, or with your Wi-Fi address uh, on your uh, of your SSID, your your broadcast name of your uh, router at home, your phone is constantly reaching out saying, "Hey, where is Nuggets Wi-Fi? Where's Nuggets Wi-Fi? Oh, there it is. I know that Wi-Fi. Let's connect." And and some of the people listening have probably had this happen. They go and they stay at a hotel and they connect to the guest network. Six months later, they're driving in another city and their phone jumps on Hilton Honors or whatever, and they don't know why they connected back to it um it'd be very easy for a bad guy to just turn his router into hilton honors and their phone just connects to it and then everything you send your your 
your bank password, your your Facebook login, whatever you're you're connecting to is broadcast. And and when you're driving around, you know, your phone is doing the same thing. It's saying, hey, uh, I want to connect to this. If somebody grabs that broadcast, it's out in free space. They can literally see your MAC address, which now they have protections that are being implemented for some of that, but they know the device you're on. They know the list of connected Wi-Fi spots that your phone will connect to. They they know all of that. And and people don't realize that, you know, they feel safe. Oh, I got a VPN and a connection and VPNs help. They're great. Uh, but you're still sending out information you don't realize, I guess. And, and that doesn't just go Wi-Fi or your AirPods or your Apple Watch or your Fitbit or whatever else you're connected to. That That's there's a lot of information being sent out there and it's very easy to grab. And Chris, uh, you can t- share your story about your house when you were well, worried. What, <laughs> what you immediately made me think about was, uh, Anthony called it the internet of things. Uh, the movie Terminator called it Skynet and it, they warned us <laughs> about it. It, it. It's exactly what it is. I mean, everything is going to be connected. And the bottom line is, um, you know, the minute we allow convenience into our lives, we give up privacy. And, you know, some people take that more seriously than others. Um, but, you know, I think back to, to our original conversation, technology has just exploded. I mean, and, and it really doesn't matter what kind of wireless protocol something is using, whether it's Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or, you know, or, or some other wireless protocol. I encourage your listeners to learn more about it. It'll make them a better technician, obviously. But at the end of the day, RF energy is RF energy. So, um, and you detect it pretty much the same exact way. So think back to the first portable cordless telephone that we had growing up. I mean, for me, I'm a little bit older than, than you two, but my home, when I was growing up, we had one landline telephone and it was in the kitchen, but it had a cord on it that was about a quarter of a mile long. And so we would walk with that phone into our bedroom and, and kind of close the door on the cord because that's the only privacy you could get. And then over time, the cord just became this big wasp nest and you, know, you had to untangle it. But they came out with the portable cordless telephone. And you could tell that that was not good, not as good of audio quality as it was when it was a landline phone. But we didn't care because it was wireless. Now you could go in your room and completely shut the door. and. But back then, that technology was analog, um, so anybody with a police scanner could listen to it. Uh, there was only it was probably manufactured by a company called Cobra, and it only had ten channels licensed from the FCC. So the truth of the matter is, if you lived in a large enough neighborhood, you would eventually hear someone else's phone call. And um, but technology started improving, and uh, eventually those phones went digital. So now, instead of sending analog audio out over the airwaves, we were sending zeros and ones. And that became more secure because humans, our ears can't understand zeros and ones. And then, you know, I could keep going, but the bottom line is technology got better. It became more secure. And, um, you know, with with modern encryption, encryption um, protocols, it's not um, as easy to intercept that audio as it makes its way from one antenna to another. But if you're the adversary and you're the bad guy and you have a very sophisticated RF transmitter, you know, it may be very difficult to intercept and demodulate the audio that they are transmitting, but it does not stop the ability for you to say, hey, this energy is suspicious and let's track down where this energy is coming from. In other words, you may be able to track that energy to a Kleenex box and find a device hidden inside of it and hold it up in the air and say, I found it, you know, you'll be a hero and you'll get promoted, whether or not you could crack the encryption. I I don't know if that makes sense really or not um, to you, but it's all about energy, not so much about, even though there are very sophisticated modern digital protocols out there, it's not so much about that as it is, this energy doesn't belong here. And now I have found where it's coming from. I think that's uh, what makes the ability to come to training, learn a little bit, so available for everybody. Because it's not just a government tier thing anymore. It's not just, you know, uh, some state department somewhere working and and super high speed James Bond type characters. Uh, Normal families can feel comfortable when they go somewhere, you know. 
they they can feel comfortable going to a hotel or an Airbnb or or going and 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 not have to worry about that. And that's just being able to, no matter how sophisticated it is, we can still locate it. You, you can't hide that energy that he like he was talking about because it's going to be there. And if it's going to work, if it's going to transmit, you can find it. It's just learning. And I think that was part of the interesting thing. I come from a, you know, cyber policy background, spent a lot of time around different tech. And uh, I think a lot of people still don't understand the environment that they're walking through every day, right? We're being blasted with whether it's Bluetooth or RF, different types of energy sources. And uh, I found it fascinating when I started this journey going through the core concepts class was getting hands on um, some of the tools and the technologies that you guys use to find these listening devices and uh, just seeing how noisy some of these rooms were, right? You can walk into a room and there's a lot going on in there. And now you have to parcel out the noise from the actual device that you're looking for. Um, whether there's, you know, existing uh, phones in the area, if there's computers, if there's other types of frequencies that are being operated on and like you said, that aren't nefarious, that are just normal everyday operations within that room. Um, can you talk and build a little bit more on room environments? I mean, there's there's tons of as there's different ways to skin a cat. There's tons of different environments that technicians would encounter, and kind of how your training facility replicates some of that, and uh, kind of the uniqueness of of training environments that you guys provide these different technicians that go through. Absolutely. Here, we're actually expanding our training department right now. We're adding a fourth classroom. So we have we have three full-time state-of-the-art classrooms with uh, desks. And two of those classrooms are set up for Intel phones. Two of those are one of the classrooms is uh, mostly RF energy. But the rest of the building upstairs, uh, Chris, do you know the square footage right now? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I want to say... I, I don't know. 60... Like- 50,000, yeah, 50 or 60,000 square feet. Yeah. Of training. And what it is, is a a ton of rooms that we don't even use for anything other than training. When I say we don't use them, people walk down the halls and like, why are these doors shut? But we have project rooms that uh, are stadium seating, four rows of stadium seating, like a theater. Uh, There's hotel rooms set up with beds, refrigerators, TVs, mirrors, uh, I, I don't know that I'd want to stay there because we have a lot of stuff hidden in them, but uh, we have cubicle offices, meeting rooms, executive offices. Uh, you know, we have access to all sides of the walls and things like that so that we can put and give the most realistic training. Uh, and that's where also as our classes come through, you know, every class is organic. Uh, that's something that because we may get a group that have, you know, Tier, what I would say, tier one, it's not, but tier one government people, but also the person that's trying to do their own research and they're all in the same class and their backgrounds are different. And as we talk and get to know them, the whole class changes. You can come to one class one week and come back the next month for the same course, have a different group of people and take away more or different things based on the questions and, and us adapting to that. But the training environment is meant to be what are you going to deal with on a regular basis? And that covers different rooms. I'm trying to think of we're also adding uh, like a, a reception area. Like that's one of our new rooms because most people don't consider that a threatening place. Things from a, a reception area, you know, everybody has a guest Wi-Fi. Everybody has that reception desk. You know, you picture Pam from the office or whatever. And there's a lot of information that can be gathered out there, listening to her set up meetings or doing things like that or him, you know, uh, but that reception area, we're, we're trying to implement that and, um, you know, set up like police chief's offices or high level CEOs or CFOs and things like that. So we, Tom, the, the president of the company, and, and they're always trying to uh, expand and stay on the front side of, of all the options that our customers might need. Yeah, and something something I'd like to just throw in there too, and something that we definitely cover. One of one of the topics I love covering the most during our uh, training is not just technical threats, but vulnerabilities that exist in every building in the world. You know, there are ways to get intelligence out of a building using um, things that exist already in the building: speakers, microphones, unused wiring that runs through the building, 
And those are things too, you know, it doesn't mean that someone wore a ninja costume and crawled in your ceiling to install something when all they had to do is just buy a really high quality uh, contact microphone and amplifier. And by getting access to the broom closet that happens to be five rooms away from the, from the conference room, by using that contact microphone and attaching it to the, you know, to the HVAC ductwork that runs overhead, it's kind of like the old days of putting a glass against the wall. You can still hear the audio. And the, those kind of vulnerabilities already exist. And there are people out there that know how to exploit those vulnerabilities. And that's something that we also, you know, obviously touch on and teach how to detect, test, and then mitigate those kind of threats. And you guys do it very well, um, having been there, seen most of what you're talking about, except the new stuff that's coming online. And that's going to be cool to circle back and, and check out some of those environments. Um, before I let you guys go, and you've, you've done a wonderful job of letting me, you know, just hammer you guys with questions about this type of stuff. You encounter everything from individuals to corporate teams to government clients for a company or say a CISO or a CSO that's developing now an internal TSEM program um, isn't sure exactly where to step out to first, but knows that there's a need, that there's you know threats and, uh, and they have targets and there's vulnerabilities. Um, what advice would you guys give them in terms of reaching out and uh, where to start, um, what classes to take, is there a progression that you would recommend for somebody that has a team that they're trying to build internally? And I, I know there were a couple of teams that were just starting when I went through. Um, it was their first go around with you guys. So um, if there's somebody out here listening that wants to hit that road and is listening to you guys and going, well, I want to get in contact with them. How would I do this? I hit the website um, at reiusa.net and reach out. We do free online seminars, you know, and I think Chris is going to say the same thing I am about the class. I come to core level one concepts, spend a week here, yeah, absolutely. eat some food, gain some weight. That's what we like to do is spoil you with food and uh, you can go ahead, Chris there. You can finish that up. <laughs> no, I was, I was just, you're exactly right. That's exactly what I was going to say. Come, you don't have to spend any money besides travel, you know, to get here. The The cost of that first level one class is not, I honestly don't remember what it is, but it's right at like a thousand dollars U.S. Uh, but that includes, you know, all the all the training and free lunches every day. So besides your travel, your hotel, it's a very inexpensive way to find out is this something we really want to bite off and do ourselves. Um, you know, kind of like you you were saying um, that you know they they might begin to realize the threat it might be present. You know, and the bottom line is I feel like I'm jumping around a little bit here, but if a company has proprietary information, then they need to be taking steps to protect that proprietary information, whether they're a sporting team, whether they're a law firm, whether they're a pharmaceutical company, you name it. That's the first question they need to ask themselves. Do we have proprietary information? Um, and then they can come through. You know, there there are some really good private sweet teams in the United States, but not every sweet team in my opinion, is great. Uh, but just like with any industry, you know, I work with some cops that I didn't think were, were great cops. Um, there, there's probably some doctors that aren't the best doctors. So you're going to have that in any industry. But my point is, if you want to, um, if the company makes the decision to continue to outsource their TSCM, I still encourage them to attend the level one class so that they can see, are they getting the level of service that they deserve? Because they'll learn what, what a good level of service is in that level one class. And then more importantly, they can also make up their minds, do we want to bring this in-house? And, you know, that again, those are, those are decisions that can, can more easily be made after attending the core concepts class. When you're here, too, uh, you get to put your hands on just more than the equipment of that level one. We try to show you everything. If you've got questions, we'll hang out a little bit after class or whatever and try to walk you through and you can ask questions privately or in front of the class we honestly and you can attest to this uh and other people that you know once you come through training you're part of the rei i mean you've got our contact info we get calls all the time from customers that maybe they haven't done it in a while and they're like hey can you remind me how to do this and we thoroughly enjoy trying to help you know yeah. that's like chris said back you're you're like you're back in the fight without leaving your office. So it's, it's really good for us. 
That's super cool. And and I'll make sure to uh to include REI's information in the show notes. So for anybody who has not attended a class but would like to or explore those options, uh, we'll make that readily available for them. Um, before I let both you gentlemen go, um, is there a best way to contact either one of you? Um, even for uh people who've gone through the course and and maybe uh deleted out or lost your contact. I don't know what, but um, if somebody wants to reach you and have further questions specific on this topic, um, how would they do so? Chris, you can give yours first and I'll, I'll go after that. Okay. Uh, my email address is C as in Charles Browning, like the gun. So C Browning at R E I USA.net. And mine is a uh, a reap. That's alpha Romeo echo, echo Papa at R E I USA.net. If anybody's listening and they want to look at classes, um, go ahead to the website. And if you need to talk to somebody, I would probably recommend Michelle, right? Don't riddle these two guys with a bunch of classroom uh, questions. (laughs) Um, But if you have some immediate technical questions and training questions that are appropriate for these guys, go ahead and uh, take advantage of that opportunity. They are uh, incredibly knowledgeable, having sat down with both of them on you know, different occasions and in a classroom setting. Um, Nugget was my core concepts instructor. And uh, he, seriously, by the end of the week, uh, not just the instructors make you feel like family, but the rest of the other individuals that you spent a week with start to feel that way too. Uh, many of them have common shared interests, common shared work environments. And already, I mean, we've worked with and uh, teamed up with some, some uh, other individuals that were in my core concepts class. So you get that random phone call. Hey, can you help me out with this? Or, Hey, I have a client. I mean, it's cool that, you know, it's a niche service that's provided still. It's becoming more talked about, um, but it's still a small community that provides a top level of, uh, of experience. And that comes honestly from a training provider the one I'm talking to right now that is providing that top level <laughs> service. So it all kind of is a, is a big circle. Um, you ask anybody uh, where to go for TSCM and it's a unanimous REI is right there at the top of the bucket. So um, both you guys, Chris and Nugget, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you. To explore this interesting kind of little component in the greater security umbrella. And uh, I think it's just going to be more talked about. And I think it's quite honestly going to be something that's used more broadly. So. If you want to leave with a laugh, you, something just occurred to me, and I'm hoping that you're going to have at least one listener who will identify with me, uh, and I'd love to hear from him. Did you, did you notice that, of course, all of us being either former or current law enforcement, uh, did, did you notice that when I learned the phonetic alphabet, it was uh, Adam Boy Charles, and when Anthony learned it, it was Alpha Bravo Charlie. So I'm hoping there's at least one person my age who who realized that I did the old school phonetic alphabet. Um, But anyway, it was a pleasure. I'm glad you had us on. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely, guys. I look forward to seeing you both again. And uh, to our listeners, uh, thank you for continuing to support the podcast for interesting conversations just like this. So everybody, stay safe.